Hi, I'm Dr. Whitney Hauser, and I'm joined by Dr. Scott Schachter today, and we're going to be talking about meibomian gland dysfunction, how it you know, impacts our practices, how we diagnose it, how we treat it, and just kind of getting our feet wet with it today. Welcome, Scott. I'm glad that you're joining us. Um, so tell me, when did you get started, you know, really paying attention to MGD in your practice? Well, I would say dry eye disease and ocular surface disease in general, probably around the time that the uh, TFOS MGD report came out, probably around 2011 or so, I really started taking an interest in it and uh, uh, put sort of a diagnostic protocol into my practice and, and just started finding an awful lot of it. So it's become a real interest in the last few years. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, that really probably put you ahead of the curve. It seems like it's people are really just getting momentum with it, uh, you know, in the last year or two. So um, that's pretty impressive. So, you know, what you said you have a diagnostic protocol. What did it look like in 2011, if you can recall? What was I doing to, to look for it? Well, not right. specific to MGD, but in general, dry eye disease. And, and my bone right. glands is part of that. Uh, what I really started doing was just put a couple um, a couple things in place throughout pre-testing for my technician to do and things that I was doing in the exam room, uh, such as measuring uh, tear volume with its own quick panel red thread test. Um, and uh, in the exam room, I was looking at tear foam breakup times, pushing on glands. Uh, it, it really wasn't taking a lot of time, uh, trans-illuminating glands as well um, in, in order to look at, you know, as you and I have talked about before, um, when I started recognizing that dry disease is a vision disease, that's when it became important to me. When I had my own LASIK done several years ago, um, I, I was found to have higher order aberrations of my eye. It was a spherical myope, and that didn't make a lot of sense. And it really turned out to be tear film related. So that was an epiphany for me, uh, the significance of the tear film to how it affects my patient's vision. And that's when I decided it should really be a very important disease state in my practice. Prior to that, it wasn't really important. Right. Well, and that's how you started, you know, several years ago in, in 11. How has your protocol sort of evolved over the last several years? Um, in general, uh, I'm more, it's a little bit more sophisticated, I like to think. You know, we use speed questionnaires while patients are sitting in reception. Uh, we're still doing zone quick, you know, red thread tests, and we're doing some, some point-of-care testing with osmolarity and MMP9s. Uh, from inflammatory and uh, and tear lab, and uh, I'm doing vital dyes, so uh, lysamine and fluorescein. I put them in together, and we're also uh, adding routine initial mybography to uh, our workup now. So if a patient scores seven or more on a speed questionnaire, we're imaging meibomian glands on that patient that day. Now I'm not saying that we do that every single year, uh, but I want at least want to get a baseline. And the reason for right. that is once we started looking, and, and we, we screen young, so we'll hand out a speed questionnaire to just about anyone who's old enough to understand it, so 10, 11, 12 years old, and we're seeing what appear to be gland changes in kids that young. The reason I say they appear to be gland changes is because we don't know what they look like two or three years prior. Right. So prior. that's why I've become mm -hmm. an advocate of just routine initial screening so that we can know whether or not we're seeing changes. In the same way, you can't look at an optic nerve and necessarily know it's, it's, it's glaucoma until you see change. And so I want to get a baseline. So we are routinely doing that now too. Right. 
Well, you know, sort of the mission of Dry Eye Coach is to bring dry eye care to any practice at any budget. And as you sort of listed off your protocol and so forth, you know, as someone who does dry, I don't think it sounds like anything that's going to impede efficiency because a lot of those tests are done, you know, really quickly. And as part of your normal everyday, you know, eye exam, you know, how do you feel like dry eye and adding that into your practice affects your office efficiency, either from a staffing perspective in their utilization or your time in the exam? room you know well, through, it, through the workup how do you how do you work around that through the workup we're really not adding a lot of time the speed questionnaire is not taking any of our time and and really that that is a fast survey so patients don't complain no one likes to give patients more paperwork right. myself included exactly. but i'll tell you i have not had a patient say they don't want to fill it out and we've been using it for years and i'm sensitive to that we want to keep our patients happy no one complains about that. And they, once they score seven or higher, essentially, at all the follow-ups, they're filling it out, too. Uh, the zone click test takes about 15 seconds to do. Um, and then uh, if we do uh, inflammatory or osmolarity, uh, that adds some time, but that's also something that we're billing medical for. So even if the patient presents with a vision plan, uh, we continue on to billing the vision plan, but we'll bill that point-of-care testing to their medical uh, in the exam room, I combine fluorescein and lysamine, uh, and I look at them together. Uh, I, I put the dye in, and then I continue to move through the exam. It's important to wait at least a minute or two to look at the dye uh, to give it a chance to show up a little bit better. Uh, my biography does add more time. Uh, that's true. You know, it takes about two minutes, and that's important to a lot of people. So we only do that, again, we only do these things if patients score seven or higher. But once they are diagnosis way. They be essentially end up in what you might call a dry clinic. In in theory, they now are a dry patient from now on. So we are seeing these patients medically in several times throughout the year to try to to try to intervene to that, and make things better. To that better. point, do, do you get pushback from patients who come in and they have a vision care plan? You kind of talked a little bit about the the transition there. But go, come in under vision, and then you find a medical diagnosis. Do you have any any trouble, you know, getting a them to get in that track? Um, no, not really. You know, if they if they're scoring seven or more on a speed questionnaire, typically they're going to buy in, and that's why that's the cutoff. If they score two on a speed questionnaire, you've got your work cut out for you, convincing them they have a problem. Uh, right. But if they're scoring seven or more, I, I think there's going to be enough symptoms that they're going to listen to what I have to say. And imaging mm -hmm. is very important. If, if you show them a high osmolarity reading, a, high, a positive inflammatory test, if you show them mybography where it appears that there's gland loss, all these mm -hmm. things are impactful. And if you believe it yourself that you can make a difference, if you see gland, what appear to be gland changes in a 25-year-old, it's going to be important that they do something to change what they're doing now so that when they're 55 years old, they're not going to be in a lot of uh, trouble. So you said you several years ago started with translumination. Now what kind of imaging do you have in your office? Um, I've used several. I've used the liposcan. I have a keratograph uh, that I like a lot, which, which images my bony glands plus also has other features. Uh, currently we're using a device called a, the MyBox, which is a slit lamp mounted device, so it's, it's cloud-based image capture, 
high quality images. And what's really attractive to me about it is price point under $10,000 makes it accessible to the masses. It just, it's, it's got a small footprint, high quality images and very affordable. So when you're trying to recoup an investment on a piece of equipment, this makes it a lot easier to do. Uh, so we've had, we do that. I have, I have my technicians grab those images for me and it can just go from one room to the next. Uh, some doctors like to put them in the room. Some like to have central capture so that their technicians can do it. Currently we're have, we have it in an exam room and my staff will capture the images for me before I get in the room. Uh, so that's, that's been really, in my mind, a game changer in, in imaging my bony glands. From a treatment perspective, what do you offer in your office for my bony gland dysfunction? Well, I have a lipoflow, and so if I see my bone that looks thickened, uh, you, you press on that, it's obstructed, it's cloudy my bone, then I, I really think the lipoflow is standard of care. There's nothing better than really? that. Uh, yeah. Right. I, they've done a lot of research and, and they've published a lot of papers. They've put in a lot of work and, and uh, I think that's really the standard of care. So we've had great success so with, with the flow. Um, would, you, would you recommend that preceding something more conservative like a silicone beaded mask or where, where does it all kind of fit in, in your mind? Well, it depends on the level of what we're seeing. If, if we see glands that are really obstructed and there's some thick mybum going on there and there appears to be gland atrophy, uh, we're going to recommend, I'm going to recommend the lipoflow. Now, if I see maybe early stage, somebody who has a, a lower speed score and they're borderline and we just see some little bit of cloudiness to the glands, no real gland loss, uh, then we're talking about uh, compresses, uh, omegas, um, uh, I like GLA uh, personally, um, and blink exercises. So we'll have them, we'll ha what I do is make these recommendations and check them off on a, a sheet that we have to send our patients home with. Um, and uh, my, my staff will check, also check boxes, my staff will sit down with the patient and review everything and then schedule a follow-up. But, but if they're early, then I think we can do the compresses, instruct them to squeeze their eyes tight for about 10 seconds, about four or five times a day, take some more breaks if they're staring at a computer all day, uh, because I really think it's the, the decreased blink rates that are getting a lot of our patients in trouble. Right. Well, you know, um, there are so many different options out there, and some of them cost money out of pocket. Elective procedures, like you mentioned, Lipoflow, Intense Pulse Light, um, Thermi, uh, Peleve, there's a lot of different things that are being integrated into dry eye care. Since you have a few of those elective procedures at your office, as you're presenting those to patients, you know, a lot of times when I consult with practices, they want to say, you know, my patients won't buy in, my patients won't pay X dollars for a particular service. Do you find an element of pushback or how do you overcome that? Well, certainly there's pushback. And, you know, I, asked, I talked to Caroline Blackie a long time ago about this, and she's behind Tier Science and the Lipoflow, and she's done a lot of research. And her message was really educate your patients. Just prescribe and recommend treatments for your patients. They're not all going to do it, uh, especially when it has a higher price tag associated with it. But you at least say, if not now, eventually. So we're going to have this discussion as if we assume you're going to want to do it. I like to think I talk to patients like I've got my parents sitting there. This is what I would recommend you do. You know, take money out of the equation. This is what you need. 
And you have to, if you have the conviction that that's the right thing for that patient sitting there, that will come through. Uh, you can't be on your heels. And, and I've been practicing long enough where I like to think I practice on my toes or practice downhill. I'm in charge in the exam room. Patients come to me for my, my advice or why else are they coming to me if they don't want to listen to what I'm telling them to do. So there's right. pushback. We don't bat a thousand uh, on uh, getting patients to do a lipoflow, for example, but we're going to talk to them about it every year and make the best recommendations. It, it is new to them to have to, to pay, you know, out of pocket for these procedures. So I think with time there will be sort of a shift as more and more doctors are integrating this technology into their practices. But, but for now, um, we do the best we can. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think a no is not a never. It's just a, a not now. Uh, and revisiting that sounds like a really smart thing to do. Well, Scott, I really appreciate your time this uh, morning, getting a chance to discuss myobomian gland dysfunction. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on.